Welcome to Wait What? Sports Biz Chat with DP and McGee, the podcast that takes a unique look at the business of sports, sometimes irreverent, sometimes cynical, sometimes serious. We honestly don't know if we'll make you laugh. I mean, we hope we do, uh, but we will definitely make ourselves laugh. I'm your co-host, David Faro. And I'm Tim McGee. So, Tim, we're down to the final fours, uh, but I'm going to throw it over to you. What, uh, what you got your eye on? Well, uh, first, I would encourage all of our global listeners to go back and listen to last week's podcast, where one of the co-hosts made a prediction that said the St. Peter's Peacocks would make it through to the Elite Eight, but their Cinderella run would end on Sunday. Yeah, you did what you do, which is make these (laughs) elaborate predictions, uh, very, very, not so much definitive because we know what your history is, but uh, detailed, we'll say. Um, but you nailed it. I, my hat's off to you, man. Uh, you got this one. Great call, uh, upsetting a number three in Purdue, and then uh, and then meeting their final demise against a very hot North Carolina team. Yeah, you, you know, you talk about momentum and peaking at the right time, and and uh, Tar Heels certainly seem to be doing that. But hats off to to the St. Peter's team. They they played the game the right way. Their their coach was uh, was humble yet confident um they had a great group of young men on that team um and it was just fun to watch it was you know this this tournament is everything that's great about men's college basketball right you have the combination of sort of the dukes and the kansas and the villanovas and the north carolinas of the world sort of cream rising to the top in the final four but then you have that run by saint peter's um which was fantastic and you know, while we're talking about March Madness, what about that game that you and I watched separately but together last night? Yeah, that um, UConn-NC State game last night was one of the best basketball games I've ever watched. It was, uh, it has every, it has everything that March Madness, just to your point, is supposed to be all about. And they were going back and forth and and landing big punches, coming back and, uh, you know, getting back and, and making big plays and going into double OT to send uh, Gino... Oriema to his 14th straight Final Four, which is just amazing. Um, but you know, to your point, th- this idea that the cream has risen to the top, even though we had these great uh, Cinderella stories, it really has been, I think, the perfect tournament that way. And even though Carolina is an eight seed, obviously they're not playing like an eight seed on the men's side, uh, but on the women's side, South Carolina won, Louisville won, UConn a two, but being UConn and Stanford being a one, so it, it's it's. Um, you know, we, we're we're I, I suspect we'll get to this later in the show. I think, but uh, I suspect we'll do some big numbers uh, rating wise uh, uh, for this Final Four. Yeah, and uh, you know, before we get off that, just just real quick, the uh, the inter- the post game interview with Gino Auriemma, um, he seemed to to really be emotional about that. When he was asked, he, he said, "You know, when I recruit these young women, you know, they come." you know, because they want a chance to make it to the final four. And he said, when you're young and you think you got a million of them left, um, you sort of take them for granted. But I guess, you know, as we all get older, um, you know, he sees that he's closer to the end of his career than he is to the beginning. Um, And I think he appreciates um, the opportunity that, you know, he's created, right, uh, as the coach, but the opportunity that his his young women have um, to now go on and play in, 
in in Minneapolis next weekend. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's you know they they are loaded every year. I mean, they get amazing players, uh, really the the cream of the crop in a lot of ways. Although that's balancing out to some degree, and and I think we'll see that in this Final Four, by the way. But yeah. um, but he. 14 straight. I mean, that's absolutely absurd. So you have to certainly put him up there, um, you know, on the list of, of, of best ever. And obviously there've been some great coaches on the women's side. I tell you what, another big piece, if you saw that hug and embrace with, uh, with uh, state's coach, uh, Wes Moore after the game, Mm -hmm. and then they asked, they asked, Gino what, what he said to him. And he said, um, he said, "I, I wish we both could go. And I'm going, I really think he said that. You know, sometimes you think these guys in these interviews just say what something cool that comes to their mind. But I'm guessing he really said that because that was one heck of a game. I, I do listen. NC State basically had to play almost a home game, you know, an away game on mm-hmm. uh, on a UConn home floor. But there certainly was. I mean, they they didn't shy away from the challenge. There's no doubt about that. Even though they were the number one seed, you're playing against the, the UConn Huskies. And that's a that's a big task, and it probably made it a little tougher being there in Bridgeport. But yeah, um, to, still just a great game. I mean, it was so I was so excited to write you last night about. It. Like, <laughs> are you watching this? Yeah, and I just got home from teaching my class, and I'm glad you did because yeah. I, I I had forgotten about it quite honestly. And one of the things that Gino said uh, before the game was that he didn't think uh, one of the two teams was going to lose; that it was going to be was going to take an effort by one of the teams to win it. And I, you know, it, it, it sounds kind of corny or cliche, but it's true, right? You know, UConn had to really find that extra gear in, the, in that second overtime to overcome, right. uh, you know, truly tenacious North Carolina State Club. Right. By the way, so anyone out there that hasn't watched the women's game, tune into the Final Four. But another thing, just the and, – and they have a, a whole roster of really great players – but watching Paige uh, uh, Becker's play this game and, you know, what she can do in the clutch is a, a true thing of beauty. Yeah, no, and, uh, you know, she missed most of the season. I can only imagine how good she would have been if she was, you know, in right. in, in the form of having played, you know, physical and right. mental shape of having played all season. But, yeah, there's going to be some great games uh, all weekend on the men's and the women's side. Right. So but let's let's talk if you don't mind for a minute. You know, it was I was looking at the calendar. It was less than a month ago. We, um, as well as you know, others who follow the sport of baseball, were concerned that we were going to lose an entire season of baseball. I personally thought if we if we did, and I thought it was a real possibility that baseball would have a really difficult time, you know, coming back from that work stoppage and loss of games and potentially a loss of the season. But then fast forward to today, you've got, you know, the new broadcast deals that we've talked about. Um, And just, you know, yesterday it was announced that Capital One is stepping in uh, with a five-year, $125 million sponsorship deal to become the exclusive banking partner of Major League Baseball, as well as the presenting sponsor of the World Series. Um, replacing, you know, longtime incumbent Bank of America, who was right. very closely associated with MLB for many, many years. Um, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I think the last deal had uh, Bank of America paying $10 million per year. Now, we, you and I know that you can't always trust the numbers you see in the media, but I'm sure, like, uh, you know, on a relative basis, they're probably close. Capital yeah. One has paid significantly more to step into that category. Right. Yeah, it's a it's a huge it's huge news. I mean, baseball comes out of this work stoppage. 
uh, does multiple media deals on the streaming side, which are huge and moving them forward. And then this announcement, it was, it was announced when B of A left that they had somebody waiting, but we didn't, you know, it hadn't been, it hadn't been announced. Um, Capital One is a, is an important deal on a number of fronts. And the money is, is the big piece, of course. It, but the presenting sponsorship of the World Series, which obviously allows uh, activation to go uh, along with the, the you know, the actual playoffs and then the World Series to drive a little more attention. But what Capital One also is, is a is a strong advertiser and they do it in a very uh, uh, consumer way. Right. They are mm-hmm. out there. They have funny ads. Um, they, uh, you know, they, they use celebrity, which I assume that they will use heavily in this activation, um, with MLB. Uh, so it's a, it's a great get hats off to the folks at, uh, at MLB to have someone in the wings in a, in a very important banking category. One of the most, if not the most important from a total dollar standpoint category, uh, in sports sponsorship. And, and they have somebody that knows how to activate. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see who the baseball equivalent of Samuel L. Jackson, Spike Lee, and right. Charles Barkley is when they choose those celebrities. If they do, maybe that's a prediction for uh, a future episode for us. I, I'm guessing it's going to be Samuel L. Jackson. Maybe not Spike, because Spike's definitely a basketball <laughs> guy. But I, yeah, and and Barkley's Barkley's such a Renaissance man now. It seems for whatever reason, <laughs> and he's so entertaining that they'll figure out a way. To, push him into it as well yeah i'm trying to think who the big baseball fans among celebrities are right you have jerry seinfeld billy crystal here in new york you've got uh bill murray with the cubs yeah. boy what a get that would be if you can that's, get bill murray that's a good guess right there yeah, if that's, my friends at capital yeah. one are listening you yes. heard it here first yes that's a that's that's a good one yeah no but it is and um you know, I think I think baseball has has really done a great job of getting some great storylines coming out of this work stoppage that that, you know, a lot of people and we were on that list uh, had some concern as to what that what the overall damage. Listen, we still have to see where attendance goes. We have to see where interest goes. We have to see where the storylines go. We have to see where ratings go. Uh, but these are really positive storylines for. Uh, yeah, I think that I think the uh, I think the whatever ill will was engendered by the work stoppage has almost gone away. Right. Unless you're unless you're uh, you know a business in Florida or Arizona that's been directly impacted by you know shortened spring training, um, you know you've almost forgotten about the work stoppage at this point. Right. right? You're looking forward to opening day. Right. Um, and you know this is going to be, and and I'm so glad that this is going to be uh, that they're going to get the season started relatively on time. Right. When they're delayed by a week, yeah. but April fifteenth will mark the seventy fifth anniversary of Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier. So truly, uh, you know, a momentous occasion in Major League Baseball that they're going to be able to celebrate. Right. Um, And that's great. And then the last thing I'll say about Capital One is if you look at what they do around their NCAA uh, sponsorship, uh, you know, they are uh, one of the best at activating sponsorships out there. So um, I really look forward to seeing it. It'll be interesting to see if they do or how many team deals they do on the Major League Baseball side. Right, right. Hey, real quick, because uh, I, I, I want to talk about a sport we have not talked about yet, but I want to say one thing before. Pickleball? And it, and it, what? Pickleball? Pickleball. We, got, we have got to bring up pickleball. Pickleball is just taking the, taking the country by storm. 
maybe the world. Yeah. We're going to have to do pickleball sometimes. So. We're going to devote it. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll vote. We're, we'll devote an entire segment to pickleball. We we have to. So last week, of course, we had Chris Bevelock with a CEO and co-founder of SimpleBet, and they are big in the in in raising engagement through mostly what people refer to as prop bets or in-game betting. Mm-hmm. And one of the questions we did not get to, which was which we had hoped to get to, was what other applications would there be for their technology in particular and that type of betting in event, during event, live betting? And one of the ones that we were going to ask him about is, is reality television and, the, and award shows like the Oscars. That was specifically in there. And I'm thinking, man, once the scene with Chris Rock and Will Smith started. Wait, like, what? Wait, what? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Did something happen? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, it's one of the things I like to do with my kids, by the way, is watch award shows. So we, we still actually are tied, even though the ratings have continued to, to plummet. But when the when the, you know, Twitterverse exploded after uh, Will Smith took to the stage to pop Chris Rock after he insulted, uh, made, made a joke about uh, Jada Pinkett Smith, um, it uh, things went a little crazy in the on the Internet. And uh, I think they I think the ratings kind of. Uh, like lifted very aggressively there, but I'm going, is he, you know, live betting, is he going to, what's he going to do? Is he going to, is he going to curse? Are they going to have to bleep or is he going to hit him? What's Chris Rock going to do after it would have been huge. I mean, I would, I think it could have been massive uh, betting experience, but I imagine they'll be rushing that product out soon. Quick aside, Chris Rock once called me a funny mother, a mother effer. I almost, I almost had to self bleep. He, um, so yeah. Oh, I can bleep in post. Don't worry about that. Say say okay. whatever. It is. Well, no, no. Uh, I'm not going to. He use did. Stoth. He, he did. He, and, uh, and and did you punch? You know, and, but you didn't punch him. You actually no, said thank all, you. I mean, that was a compliment. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was a, you are you are a funny mother effer, by the way. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you. But you know, most most men, you know, they when you ask what they want on there as their epitaph, right? You know, loving husband, devoted father, good friend, whatever. Mine's going to say, here lies a funny mother effer. That's, that's very good. My, I had a, I did have a brush with Bill Murray around an all-star game once where he said something, but it was just like the classic uh, Bill Murray thing, which just made me laugh because that's pretty (laughs) much all he did. Um, And then I met John Mulaney in a, a suite at the U S open ones. And he was looking for a cookie and I said, go for the oatmeal. They're crazy good. And he turned around and he said, never heard, never heard crazy good associated with an oatmeal cookie, you know, like the John Mulaney style. I'm like, all right, I got a, I got a reaction from John Mulaney. So obviously you and I and comedians are just a, we, we attract we, them. We do. They just, they, they, they cannot not respond to us. Because we, we pretty much will laugh at anything. between the two of us right so we are a good audience all right all right um i want to talk f1 for a second okay um so we haven't talked about formula one but i don't think we can in in this country i mean we know that formula one from a global perspective is the leading motorsport travels the world jet setting beautiful people beautiful crowds and amazing series in 2023 the united states is going to host three Formula One races as Vegas at, in Thanksgiving was added to the 2023 schedule, which will go along with the Miami event, which will be happening in May, and the Austin event, which has been now around for a few years, which happens in October. Three events, and we went for years without having one. Also, interestingly, 
a couple weeks ago, Indy, NASCAR, IndyCar, NASCAR, and Formula One all raced on the same day. Um, and Formula One did a better rating in the U.S. than the IndyCar series. Now, I don't want to give all of the credit to Netflix and their Drive to Survive series, but you have to say a huge reason this is this is happening and people are paying attention and there's interest is this series has brought people that may not have even been sports fans, let alone motorsports fans, into the into the coolness factor of Formula One. So I, I've been amazed. I'm I'm actually looking forward to trying to get to one of these races over the next next few years. And part of the reason I wanted to talk about it is because Netflix has already signed on to do a series similar to Drive to, to Survive for tennis. And I think the one that's going to be super huge is the one for golf that the tour and tour players have signed on on. And I will give a little uh, shout out. Our guest today is going to be an executive from the tour, uh, Norb Gambuza. Um, and we're going to talk to him about this. But I, I think, I mean, I think this turnaround and this interest in Formula One uh, and getting a younger audience as well, really, really impressive. And I think it's something as both sports marketers and as sports fans need to keep an eye on. Um, yeah, I know it, it's, uh, you know, listen, you got to give credit to, to Liberty Media as well. Um, I think they have, you know, shown a steady hand in growing Formula One. But, you know, you think back in to 2005 was the last time that there was a U.S. Grand Prix in, at Indy. And then we went over 10 years without any races in America at all. And then to go in the last seven years or so from zero to three, um, I think, you know, it's it speaks to the growing popularity here. It also speaks to the importance of the U.S. market, right? It continues to be uh, one of the most important markets globally for, for any sport. Yeah, it was always something that the series uh, was not happy about. And certainly when Liberty got involved, that was the entire that was the entire focus, right? Like, what are we going to do to build it? And, you know, a lot of these things have, have helped that. I mean, it, it just covers a lot of different things and, and not to beat a dead horse here on this. But this but the series and what Netflix is doing with sports is interesting. Can they survive? with Apple going into live sports and Amazon going into live sports and these other platforms, streaming platforms going into live sports where they've said that they're not going live yet, but they certainly have an interesting position with some of these uh, series and, and what they could, what they can deliver for sports. They say sports is the, the original reality TV. And now many of them are using reality TV and documentaries. So. Yeah, no, it's a, a perfect example of that for sure. Um, it is, uh, it is, it is, pretty fascinating. All right. I think that is time for us to take a break. We're going to come back soon with, uh, with our guest. Hang with us. It's time for our guest. We are very pleased to welcome Norb Gambuza to the show. Norb is the Senior Vice President of Media and Gaming at the PGA Tour. He oversees the tour's domestic broadcasting business and business development functions for the tour's digital media assets and its sports betting strategy. Norb was a key member of the team that negotiated the landmark nine-year domestic media deal that began this year, and we're going to talk about that quite a bit. Um, he's a business development and integrating mar integrated marketing leader. Uh, Norb and I actually share lineage to the pioneering sports marketing agency, ProServe. Unfortunately for me, we never actually overlapped there, but Norb, welcome to Wait What? Thanks, guys. Great, great to be here. So we're going to start with kind of an easy one and let you just say what you want to, what I want to, yeah, right? Famous last words. Just give us an overview uh, of the season, how you feel it's shaping up, particularly in light of the, the new television deal that is uh, uh, that upon us and these, you know, great young players that we're seeing. 
Yeah, thanks. Um, you know, every every year is is a different year, brings its own uh, opportunities and and challenges. Um, you know, starting in in January of 22, you know, we we started these new domestic media deals um, with CBS and NBC, and and adding ESPN as our streaming partner on PGA Tour Live. Uh, Nine-year nine deals, as you mentioned, so so all the way through um, 2031, we're in the process. You know, we still, even though they started in January, we're still we still have a lot of work to do to to operationalize these and get all the details down. Um, but we're really excited about it. Um, ex excited about them all. We're excited about kind of how they move our business forward. Um, how they enable us to to kind of tell our story better and to reach more fans and to market more aggressively, program differently, um, serve our sponsors better. But but yeah, there's there's uh, there's a lot that went into it, and um, you know we're starting to see the, the the fruits of that labor now. Can you go into a little bit more detail about the ESPN Plus deal in particular, and what we as golf fans should be looking for? in our streaming experience and how that differs from, you know, watching the broadcast of tournaments. Yeah. So um, getting ESPN um, in the boat uh, was, was really important for us. Um, you know, the, the, the tonnage that they deliver, the, the audience that they command, the, the, the power of what I call the ESPN machine is, is massive. Um, so so it's it's about you know what kind of content are we producing and distributing but also how many eyeballs are we putting that content in front of so we are now producing four distinct feeds uh from virtually every one of our golf tournaments um that focus on kind of different pieces of content one we call a main feed um, we have a couple of featured group holes, and then we have a whip around camera, um, which zips around the golf course. And we're going to be producing, you know, 4,300 hours uh, of programming across ESPN um, this year. And, um, you know, so far we're off to, to a really good start. It gives us the chance to, you know, not only set program market aggressively through ESPN, but also to try different things from a production standpoint, we are producing all those feeds and all those hours. So we're experimenting with new technology, uh, experimenting with how to deliver information and statistics and data and graphics differently. We're experience, uh, experimenting with new talent. Um, and, you know, we're three months into this and uh, three months into a nine month deal. So it, it gives us an enormous opportunity to test and learn and succeed and fail um, and help us serve other areas of our business. So yeah, really, really excited about, about ESPN. And so just a quick follow-up to that, if you don't mind. I had heard a statistic at one point that only about 15% of the action in any PGA Tour event actually made it to the broadcast. So I guess two-part question, you know, number, number one is, how close do you think you can get to 100%, right? Is there enough interest is there enough out outlets uh, or broad enough outlets that could come even close to maximizing the potential for that and then how do you how do you monetize that that yeah because you've done a hell of a great job of monetizing the first 15 percent. how do you monetize that last 85 percent? yeah so that's a great question that uh, that number is you're probably right. It's somewhere south of 20% of the number of shots that actually make it into a what I'll call a main feed. Um, 
we we have this dream or this this vision of um, at some point in the future of being able to produce cap, capture produce and distribute every shot from every player and every hole. Um, we've we've done it a couple times. We did it last year at the Players Championship. Um, we did some of it this year. Our Players Championship. Uh, Mother Nature had some some other plans for us this year. Um, but the idea of being able to do that, to, to capture, produce, and distribute, monetize, sell rights to every shot it is something we definitely want to kind of keep our, our eyes on for the future. Um, you know, looking back, you know, we launched PGA Tour Live in 2016. And, and before 2016, golf television came on at basically 3 p.m. and it went off at, at 6 p.m. and you know golf balls go on the air on thursday and friday before eight o'clock in the morning so you've got six plus hours of of competition happening on a golf course and no cameras there to film it and the reason no cameras were there to film it were because the, the, there was no economics to support it right it's really expensive to produce live golf um, and when when the market found itself in a position to support it. And we found a streaming partner and we, we did a, a deal with, with Bob Bowman and Major League Baseball Advanced Media to, to effectively produce and distribute PGA Tour Live. The market supported um, kind of paying for that production. And, and once we put it up and distributed it, we, we knew there was a real market. So since 2016, that product, you know, we started with, with BAM, uh, we moved to NBC Sports and we were distributing on NBC Sports Gold. And now in, in 22, we're, we're with ESPN. So that that it's a, it's a really tight little life cycle um, of, a, of a brand new product. But that just shows you how quickly in, in six or seven years, how you move from an idea to a massively distributed um, and, and well-produced product. And um, yeah, I, I hope we get to a day some point soon where where we're getting every player and, and, and every shot on every hole and figuring out a market. There's the US marketplace. And then we've also have, you know, when we distribute our content outside the United States, we have really, you know, massive demand from kind of pockets of, of the world. When, when Hideki Matsuyama performs well, um, the, the consumption of that content in Japan is, is off the charts. Um, so, we see that in different pockets of the world. We, our, our player base continues to grow and diversify and is extremely international. And that for us is a really important, um, a really important uh, part of the mix too. How, how you monetize that content in the US, but also uh, ex-US in, in our partnership with Discovery. So speaking of how you monetize your product, we know that you have several, as most proper, top properties do, multiple betting partners. Uh, I believe yeah. you have FanDuel, PointsBet, BetMGM. Um, that are that are there for engagement as well as some revenue driving opportunities. Uh, what are the expectations from these partnerships, and how do you feel? Yep. You know, sports betting is going to you know change how fans can engage, especially with all these type of products that you're talking about from a delivery system. Yeah, yeah, I, I think David that um, sports betting represents the most significant opportunity for a a an entity like ours to kind of come outside of itself um, and truly not not just saying these words truly get our our stuff right our our product our ip our brand our players our highlights our tournaments in front of other fans sports fans 
who are consuming all kinds of other sports, um, but but may only come in and bet on the Masters or may only bet on an event here or there. Um, so we we truly believe that that this is you know a kind of once in a generation um, opportunity for us. So we are we also recognize that we're in the top of the second inning here or the bottom of the first inning, and this is going to be a long game. Um, and there's going to be steps forward and there's going to be steps backwards. Um, we, we, we have aligned with those four companies with, with, with FanDuel and DraftKings and BetMGM and PointsBet. Um, we're, we're not in the business of what I'll say collecting betting operator deals. Um, we like those companies. We could have a lot more if we wanted, but we don't. We want to, we want to have good deals. We want to have deals that work. We want to activate really effectively and smartly with those partners um, and 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 really work on getting our stuff in front of their customers and their potential customers. And, yeah, our, we're, we're in business to make money. Um, I think if you asked anybody who's sitting in my chair at, at another league or property, are you going to are you going to get rich off of your official betting operator program? No, um, we're not. We have multiple non-exclusive deals. You know, the real opportunity for us in sports betting is with our data product, which will be kind of rolling out later this year. Um, and, you know, we're, we're excited about the betting operator deals we have. And now kind of chapter two for us is going to be really focusing on this data product, getting it out to the market, getting it distributed, getting people aware about it, um, aware of it and, and, and getting some traction with it. So let's talk about something that you, a term you used earlier, fan engagement, right? Um, every property, every sponsor of every property wants to engage consumers, fans, uh, mm -hmm. in a meaningful way. What can, as we, as we slowly but steadily emerge from into a post-pandemic world, how do you, how do you continue to engage your fans on site? How do you engage them through your, your digital products? How do your partners continue to to do bigger and more creative and effective fan engagement activities? Yeah, yeah. Um, great question. Um, one which I think. Wait, what? Yeah, yeah. No, yeah wait, what? that really was a great question, Tim. By the way, it, it, it thank is, you, David, and thank you, Dory. Every person in this building, you know, if you're working on the tournament business or you're working on um, our corporate partnerships business or you're working on our di digital product and platform business, um, that experience is what you're focused on. Um, we're, we're working on the, the, the sports betting experience or I'm working on how do we make our broadcasts better? Right? Um, how do you how do you continue to evolve um, and 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 make it more enjoyable or engaging for 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 somebody sitting in their living room to turn on CBS or NBC or or, or Golf Channel um, or, or ESPN? So everyone in this building is intensely focused on that. Um, so in, across all those different those different verticals, um, the the focus that we have on the tournament experience is is profound. I mean, going to a golf tournament. That that moves, you know, the traveling circus moves week in and week out, and versus a, an arena or stadium-based uh, fixed venue where you can have a consistent caterer and and you've got all these wonderful options and your parking is all right there. You know, running golf tournaments is hard, um, and and I would say 
five, six, seven years ago, if you compared a fan experience at a golf tournament to that of a, an NBA game or a baseball game or a football game, it was, it was kind of a tough comparison. Um, but we are pushing really hard to make that fan experience better. Little parking, access, egress, ingress, um, how, how all food and beverage, uh, merchandise, uh, it, it, it's a nonstop effort. We're, so we're in the media business. We're, we're focused intensely across all those, you know, TV, digital products, betting um, nonstop every day. But what are you doing about the wasted beer in Phoenix uh, every year? <laughs> yeah. Uh, wait, what? Um, <laughs> what did you say? Uh, well, I, I, I was going to ask you, but, you know, we have you on. It's now several weeks past the, you know, yeah. uh, the Phoenix uh, uh TPC and uh, and waste management and the and you know the the legendary par three there and yeah. I, I was actually a little scared for the players but um, I, I'm I, it's it's it was a funny moment yeah. and that is what that tournament is I guess I, I, I the players I was amazed at how like the players rolled with that by the way well um, listen I we, I love talking about the waste management Phoenix Open. Um, I I wish that that we could take a, a a bottle or a little Tupperware container or something and and just capture a, a small percentage of the magic that they've captured there and just yeah. kind of sprinkle it around the um, the tour. They have created a a a juggernaut um, on so many levels. Um, the that moment in time on the part you know and with the hole in one and all the stuff coming in that that was not our finest moment right and um while you made the comment david that the players kind of rolled with it um players were not happy about yeah. that right they're 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 there to compete and 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 you're competing for a lot of money and their livelihood and you know so so that that is being addressed um but at the same time, you 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 don't want to completely stifle the energy and the enthusiasm and all the good things that are coming out of that tournament. And listen, some players some players really like to go that to go there, and they're okay with that environment and that atmosphere. And others don't, and and um, and that's okay. But that tournament has built this personality, mm -hmm. and they built that brand. Um, and they are enormously successful and raising an enormous amount of money for charity. Um, and, and we want to kind of pour gas on, on all the good things that come out of it and, right. and, and work to, and work to kind of control, um, you know, other outcomes that may not be as positive. Right. Right. Well, thanks for that. Appreciate you uh, obliging us on, on that discussion. Speaking of players, there seems to be an incredible crop of young American talent. Um, Scotty Scheffler is just, Absolutely red hot. Colin Morikawa, Xander Shoffley, along with great players from all over the golf playing world, um, standing out on the tour right at this moment. So um, I know you get this question probably a lot, but do you feel there are a few that really can carry the mantle forward for years uh, in this, in, I, I don't say this post-Tiger era, but in a yeah. post-Tiger era? Yeah, you know, I, I pulled up um, the FedEx Cup standings you know, before we got on the phone and I'm looking at them now and it is an amazingly eclectic mix of guys, younger, older, um, brand new, uh, domestic, international. I mean, the, the list 
couldn't, I don't know that it's ever looked as diverse as, as it looks now. Um, and, you know, the one thing that it's not only what we say, what we hear from the players is that it is so hard to win out there now, right? It is the, the, the parody of competition is so everyone can win at any, at any point in time. Um, but Joaquin Neiman, you know, the, the level of golf he's playing, Max Homa, the level of golf that he's playing, Cam Smith breaking out at, at Players' Championships, Scotty Scheffler is bulletproof, John Rahm. I mean, the, the, there, there are so many guys. Um, Justin Thomas, Rory, everyone likes how Rory's playing. A lot of talk about Rory going into Augusta. Um, Cantlay, Zalatoris, like, like – we're in a good spot right now. You've, so you've got you've got a really good group of young guys. You've got established guys that um, that are competing and challenging, and but but are also making it interesting. And this generation uh, uh, of younger players, they like engaging with fans. Um, they they like having fun. Um, they like going on vacation together. It's it's a different vibe than than the players that that you know kind of I grew up with when I was in my teens and twenties. Yeah, so so you know a lot of great stuff going on in, in golf and with the tour in particular. We want to touch upon something that um, hasn't been entirely positive, but would love to get um, you know your thoughts and what you can tell us about how the tour has responded to the, the golf super, the super league property. Um, yeah. And uh, you know, your players by and large with, you know, one truly notable exception um, have really been supportive of, of the tour and the, the opportunities the tour has afforded them. But what can, yeah. what can, can you tell us about that? Yeah. Well, um, this is not brand new, right? We've been dealing with this for several years now. And um, and uh, no business should should ever feel like it's never going to be challenged. E every business gets challenged um, in in some form or fashion. And and you know th this happened to the PGA Tour in the early '90s, and and it's happening again. And it's and it's not just Live Golf. It it's it's other it's it's the PGL. It's other other private equity driven uh, interests that have kind of been running around for the past few years um, trying to build a complementary or competing circuit or series or endeavor property whatever you want to call it um, you know and and I think what we've the, the philosophy that we've undertaken over the last three years is the best thing we can do for our business is is operate the hell out of it and and just continue to make it better um we're we're a very interesting corporate structure we're essentially a, a league and a players association wrapped up in one we're we're, we're also you know we're a nonprofit membership organization so we essentially work for our members who are our players so we work for them they're part of our governance um, they have a say in how we're structured um and and all we can do is run this business go out and drive more 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 revenue for them uh, and, and make their involvement with us as good as it can possibly be. We have chosen very deliberately not to react to um, rumors or to non-news or to speculation. So, you know, what you've seen from us over the past couple of years, particularly as Lip Golf has, has kind of 
come up is we're not going to comment or react to all of those things. We're, we're, we're if somebody puts something in front of us, um, we'll we'll react to it. Um, and you know what you've seen um, over the past couple of months, um, you know when when they did finally announce a structure and they've been hiring people and now they've got they announced tournaments, but what they don't have is you know um, players or a, pr a product or media distribution or sponsors or so so you know we're we're trying to keep our heads down um focus on what we do um eliminate the distractions our 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 leadership you know and our commissioner has been tremendous in 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 the last few months in talking to the players and and ta talking with them hearing them listening to them um and and uh navigating this so yeah it's been it's been a challenge but but we feel good about where we are now but at the same time realize this is this is we're probably going to be sitting here in two or three years from now still talking about the same thing um and as long as we have the best players in the world sticking with us sticking behind us committed to our business and our tour um, we'll feel good about about where we are Hey, Norb, I, I don't know if you are you can or would be willing to chat, but obviously it was big news. And the player that, uh, that Tim referenced, of course, was Phil Mickelson, and he's not playing in the Masters. He's announced that he's not playing in the Masters. He's a multi-winner you know winner of the Masters yeah. tournament. He's kind of a fixture there. Any thoughts as to, you know, w when he comes back and, and what that's going to mean? Or is it is it good for all parties that he's kind of taking a step back right now and not going to be in Augusta and 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 yeah. hasn't been on the on the tour today? Yeah, uh, not going to be in a position to comment on on uh, Phil and um, whether he's playing or not playing or or uh, that you know that is a a um, really kind of sensitive item that's that you know we don't comment ever on on player discipline or or you know so um, yeah that's probably beyond my scope. Fair, fair enough. We're just a pretty massive news breaking operation here at wait what so yeah uh, we thought we'd you know we thought we'd throw it out yeah yeah but you know at the same time and you know jay monahan has been you know and other players have said golf is better with phil mickelson and and having phil sit on the sidelines isn't great for phil and it's it's yeah. it's not great for fans and and uh you know we certainly would would like would rather have him playing golf for sure so talk to us about this Netflix series that's yeah. uh, that's coming on. What can what can fans expect? We we talked earlier in the show about uh, the success that a similar idea brought to Formula One. Uh, and and I have to think that with the personalities that no one ever really gets to see on your on the tour, um, this could be a, a, a smash as well. Yeah, um, really excited about this this project. There's a guy um, on our team named Chris Wandell who. Um, has been shopping this idea for for I think I don't know since the beginning of time and <laughs> never gave up uh, tenacious as hell uh, pitched everybody uh, on the planet I'm surprised he didn't pitch you guys uh, to have wait what distribute this idea <laughs> we would have, um, we would have taken it is there is it would we have treated them as a sponsor and made some money on it yeah or would it have so, cost us ran, ran through uh, through through uh, snow and ice and brick walls and and got Netflix uh, interested in this now coming coming off of the heel of the heels of the success that they have had with uh, with drive to survive um, but this story 
around golf has has really never been told right like like we tell it week in and week out and we see these guys inside the ropes uh and we see them playing and and you know through social media and some other shoulder programming you see you get a glimpse into into this other stuff but but um the the production team vox uh media studios and and the production company called box to box films is the same production company um, and producers on on Drive to Survive. They're they're embedded with these players and they're with them and traveling with them and in their homes and um, and this this is not really about what's happening in the ropes inside the ropes. It's more about um, what makes these guys tick. How do they put it all together? How do they get to where they need to be? Um, how do they stay where where, where they are? So um, it's going to be a a real interesting perspective i think you know when when we're when we're getting this thing prepped inside and starting to to advance it to our leadership um you know one of the things we had to make sure everyone was understanding was um this is a documentary right this is this is embedding a production team of players and they're going to get very real um and we're not going to have a whole lot of control um, so, so there are going to be topics. There are going to be things that are talked about, um, or, or outcomes of discussions that, that might be sensitive and, you know, everybody around the table has got to get comfortable with that. And, and I think everybody here, um, recognizes that, that the upside of doing something like this with a team as accomplished as, as, as this box and, and Netflix team is, um, is absolutely worth doing it. So we, we view our job here as as putting those guys in the best possible position to produce the best possible content and and uh hopefully series uh season one turns into se season two and three and if we have 40 or 50 percent or 20 percent of the success that formula one has had um in getting their brand and out there and getting people talking about formula one right. um i will view this as as a great thing yeah, and certainly in terms of the potential new audience that that brings people in, and that's where I think the strength of Drive to Survive has has been is just bringing people that might not have, have really followed it. Um, yeah. So yeah, we're excited to we're excited to see where it goes. Yeah, maybe we be, maybe we uh, you're able to create a whole new generation of golfers, right? And then that term becomes a uh, let's Netflix and chip yeah. instead of Netflix and chill. So, you know, they started uh, doing interviews at, at uh, Tiger's event at the Hero World Challenge in, in the fourth quarter in the Bahamas and and really started kind of coming out in the West Coast swing and sending crews out. And um, they're pretty pumped about what they've gotten so far. Now, you know, this is all going to be they're going to produce it all the way through the tour championship um, in August. And then they're going to go. Uh, they're going to go back and and lock themselves in a room and uh, and edit these shows. And probably, you know, we think there's going to be somewhere around eight eight shows, nine shows, something like that. Uh, and then they'll all drop, um, you know, typical Netflix style in January. So, you know, what what we all think is like this great news right now. And and this is all all of this um, the news over the last couple of months has been happening. Well, you know, it's happening now. And and then we'll see it. Um, right in January and it's going to be really inter interesting to see how how it all comes through in the show. Is is there a name yet decided? No, uh but but uh we're open for suggestions. Okay, so. again. Or, yeah. Oh, darn it. I you know what? It why didn't I come in with some names? McGee, you're we, good at this. We have uh we have a couple in the in the hunt. I think the working title has been inside the ropes uh but always been always been a working title. 
Um, and uh, yeah, we're open for suggestions. Absolutely. Well, David and I work cheap, but we don't work for free. So we'll have right. to get back to you with a scope of work on right. that. So, but no, seriously, Norb, um, some really great insights into the sport of golf. I've, I've been a big yeah. golf fan for many, many years, um, both as a, as a sports fan and as a sports marketer. But before we let you go, we always like to ask our guests two, two final questions, right? The first one is, how did you get your start in the sports industry? Where'd your career get started? Where'd you start When I went to college, I had literally like no idea what I wanted to do other than I, I, I was an athlete and um, I thought the idea of combining, I mean, this is the cliche, if I could combine, you know, sports with, with a career would be great, but I had no idea what that meant. Um, I, I got an internship with a, with a small um, agency in New York called National Media Group and worked for them for five years and had the chance, small agency, I think there were 10 or 15. I, I knew Michael well. Yeah, Michael Goldberg, Peter Kaplan. Peter Kaplan, uh, both of them considered mentors, Peter, Peter um, more so. Uh, both of them, you know, um, rest their souls, just great individuals and um you know just learned you work in a in a shop of 15 people that's doing sponsorship and league marketing and team deals and athlete deals and pr and running events and like i got in in five years probably <laughs> 20 years of experience so when when i um talk to young people who are now thinking about getting into the business there's there's 75 different ways to get into this business, but that the idea of going somewhere that's going to, you're going to get your hands into 10 different buckets and you're going to have to figure it out. It, it, it's kind of hard to beat that in my opinion. Yeah. And then what other advice do you have for somebody who's looking to get into the sports business besides getting their hands into as many different things as they can? Yeah. You know, uh, there was a really interesting piece in, in the SBJ, uh, I think maybe it was last week about, you know, this, this era um, of, wow, it's really sexy and cool to get into sports and, and I'm going to be willing to sacrifice, you know, go make less money because I'm going to go to fun events and I'm going to get tickets and I'm going to, you know, get um, the premise of the piece was that, that, that era may be over with the great resignation and, and this new mentality of, of, I need, what do I need out of, out of my career? Um, but you know there there is room in this business for people to do a lot of, for people to succeed and 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 do really cool things and um, you just gotta want it and you gotta ask for the order and and that's you know what I've always after I talk to people about um, put yourself in a position where you can have your hands in ten different pots is be aggressive and and advocate for yourself and ask for the order there's just there's just not enough people that are that are asserting themselves at that level, at that very young level saying, I have an idea and here's what I think, here's what it is. And here's why I think it will work. Um, and I know it might be crazy, but I want to share it with you. Um, I just don't see that happening as much as, as, um, as it could. I think, I think if, if, if more young people would, would do that, um, they, they'd find a little bit more quicker success. Great advice. That's great. Yeah. Thank you for that. All right. One quick thing before we let you go, yeah. are you willing to make a master's prediction? Cause I am. So, um, 
I think that Justin Thomas is ready to win the Masters. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, McGee. Uh, I've got to go with my uh, fellow uh, Paisan, Rory McIlroy. <laughs> I'm going – this is a homer call, by the way. I'm a, I'm a Wake Forest guy, uh, Norb. I'm going well, I'm, I'm, saying, I'm going. Wills Alvarez is coming back after a great performance uh, already, and he obviously loves this course. Yes. And, uh, you know, although it seems like Scotty Scheffler can win anytime he goes out, but I'm going Scotty, with yeah. Will. So uh, my son, my older son, uh, is at Wake right now. Uh, I had a, I've had Wait, a chance. Wait, what? Okay. This shows you how bad we are at doing, you know, yeah. uh, our, we should have done a little more further research on this. That's yeah. awesome, by the way. I hope he's enjoying it. He, he, he loves it. Um, he's over in Madrid right now studying, and that's another story. But I've had a chance to spend some real time with Will Zalatoris. Um, I had a chance to play with him in, in the Pro-Am at the Arnold, Arnold Palmer Invitational uh, a few weeks ago. And I agree with your assessment. I mean, he, uh, his ball striking is unlike – I mean, when you see it up close, it's, um, he is an amazing talent, and uh, he's, he's going to have a great career on the PGA Tour. So that's really great, and I'm glad you just shared that because it's, it's great to hear. But, but I am going to go back and edit this, and basically it's going to come off as saying – Hey, Norb, I was really glad I could, you know, help line up your son to go down to Wake with all those calls <laughs> I made. <laughs> and and you'll and and then we'll just edit in a part of you going, yeah, really yeah. appreciate it, David. Thanks. So, 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 so Norb, yeah, thank you. This was awesome. We really appreciate it. This was helpful and I think gonna be very uh of interest. Awesome. Well, yeah, glad Norb. to do it. Good to see you, David. Yeah, thank you. Norb. Thank you. you. Take care. To you. Nice to meet you. All right, Bye. appreciate Bye. it. Well, big thanks to Norb Gambuza. Great, great discussion about uh, the PGA Tour and uh, the exciting things going on there. Um, we're going to do it again. We're going to uh, field a couple questions. As you know, Tim and I like to do this uh, as, as often as we can. Is there something you'd like to know? Is there something you'd like to know? Ask us and we'll answer it on this show. Today's questions... Uh, come from Michael Thomas, an MBA student at Wharton. Michael happens to be a Duke grad. Uh, so, you know, he has a rooting interest in the final four uh, this weekend. Wharton doesn't offer a, a concentration in sports management, but Rob DeGisi, a mutual friend of ours, uh, leads the sports business management class, which provides an excellent overview of the industry. He really does line up some great guests. In fact, uh, Ringy Anderson, I believe, is speaking uh, uh, this week. Um, so here's uh, Michael's first question. Uh, what are the prospects of peer-to-peer -peer betting sites? And is there a market to capture the casual fans to join the betting landscape? I think there absolutely is a market. Um, you could look at the, the sports betting as an 80-20 or a 70-30 proposition, uh, whereas the, the smaller amount are actually doing the more traditional sports betting. And there's this other casual audience out there that might participate in pools and so forth, which in essence the way that they're set up brackets and so forth, say for March Madness or fantasy pools are basically peer-to-peer -peer betting available on other sites. But now with the rules, what they are, and now you can put money in that these type of uh, things I think will proliferate. I love this idea. I, I think it would bring people in a little more where you can 
um, you know, wager against a friend just on a, a various thing. You can do leagues and so forth now, obviously, because of fantasy and things. But I think the right formula for this, where people go in and, and are doing it less as a against the odds, but making bets uh, with individuals, obviously, there would have to be a lot of a lot of controls on it. Uh, but I think there's a, a, a huge opportunity for that particular type of platform. Yeah, for sure. In the marketing course that I teach, we talk about the uh, the escalator concept that was actually developed and articulated by um, Bernie Mullen and and Bill Sutton in, in the book that they wrote that many sports management programs use for their marketing course. Um, but in the freak the the frequency escalator basically says you want to get your consumer um, from being a non-user up this proverbial escalator from being a light user to a medium user to a heavy user and this peer-to-peer -peer betting which is sort of a little more low-key uh, a little bit more based on you know fun and being able to talk smack with your friends um, is a great way to get people who otherwise might not bet on games onto that frequency escalator as as it relates to to betting and gaming so uh, yeah, I agree with you. I think it's something that we're going to see more. And um, you know, at some point, uh, you know, uh, these these betting sites are going to run out of customers to acquire for the most part, right? And it right. will become more of a uh, a switchers game, right? Do I go from you know one site to another because they have better odds, or it's a better user experience, or there's more prizes, or whatever it is, but. Uh, you know, and we this, and we can expect just a lot more advertising if that is even possible. Yeah, it. Re yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to the next election cycle because I'd rather see, <laughs> see campaign ads. <laughs> um, you know, but it reminds me of you know my time in the mobile industry, the wireless industry, where it was uh, you know there was still. A, a fairly big land grab going on among the big carriers to try to acquire new customers. But then, you know, you get as many customers as you're going to get in terms of new ones. And then you got to convince people to switch from another provider to well, you. Yeah. Well, I think what could be interesting about this, right, is it's an, it is, it's an arms race right now. So they're spending, spending, spending. You figure there's going to be some further consolidation, some people that fall off. Uh, and then the question is, is does someone come and break through this and come up with something totally different to create this peer-to-peer, -peer, at least in a way that's new and fresh and, and able to capture attention? Or is one of, one of the bigger players that survives going to be able to pull it off? Um, uh, so that, that will be, um, that'll be an exciting thing to, to follow in terms of the evolution of this space. Mm -hmm. We have another question. Uh, David, keep me honest here. Is this one also from Michael? Or is it is. It is. Oh, so thank you, Michael. And he you. and he and Michael wrote to us on Twitter at DP and McGee on Twitter. Right. So he said, uh, in light of March Madness, where do you two view the NIL landscape evolving over the next five to 10 years for these student athletes? Um, I, I think, you know, NIL is here to stay. Um, I think over the next few years, I think it grows, but it grows in a more targeted fashion. Right. There was a bit of a gold rush mentality when the rules changed last July. And um, I think many companies that utilized athletes for their NIL sort of used the ready, shoot, aim approach um, in a worst case scenario. In a best case scenario, it was 
thinking tactically and not strategically, just to be able to get out there quickly. Um, I think now as brands go through a year or two of this and understand what these athletes are capable of, what might be too much of an ask of them, you'll start to see it become a little bit more targeted. Um, you know, I, I hope that as broad a spectrum of student athletes can continue to profit from their NIL. Uh, my sense is that will there'll be fewer but bigger deals. Right. Um, yeah, I would tend to agree with that. I, I also think there will be some organization as people start understanding not just the legal aspect, but the opportunities in the full landscape. Because right now it's just so big, right? And that's what makes college both interesting, exciting, but also a little bit scary. Um, what I suspect is that we'll see certain deals coming in, possibly from corporate partners that are very involved in the space, either at the NCAA level or the conference level, uh, be able to put things in place based on um, based on some degree of accomplishment and where they go, all tournament teams and things like that. Um, uh, and I think they could make sense for a lot of people. Uh, I, I would I would guess that you're going to, you're going to see some deals come along that, that tie people to various causes. Um, but I think that, you know, these are, th this is a tough situation. Um, but the right deals are, are, are great deals. And I like seeing them. I know a lot of people are very frightened about what this is, particularly mixed with the transfer portal situation, um, and collectives and all this stuff that's going on. It really is a little frightening, but we, we, to your point, we're here, uh, what's it going to, what's it going to take to get money in the, in these people's hands, but hopefully, uh, it's logical and it's known and, you know, uh, people that really do care about college athletics, brands that, it, that, uh, care about college athletics are the ones that are involved, uh, and they're doing things that benefit all the way around. So we'll have to see, but I think March Madness really is, um, to, to, uh, uh Michael's question. Uh, a kind of a perfect place to showcase this because we we know people that we did not know whether even on the on the you know the big teams the teams that are famous we now know people because we're seeing them um, and it makes a little more sense and they're now in the in the public eye to potentially do a national deal. Yeah, if I was advising a brand though, I'd I'd be very careful about trying to go after a guy during March Madness, right? Because you know I've I've you know I've been to many final fours and NCAA tournaments, you know, in my role, you know, at AT&T and with other brands uh, working, you know, on behalf of other brands. And it's very difficult to get the player's attention and time as you get into the tournament. Their coaches demand their time. Ostensibly, they're still doing schoolwork during the week. Um, so if I were advising a brand, I'd say, you know, do your homework, find somebody early. Um, and then, you know, get what you need before March becomes too mad, if you will. That's the one yeah. caveat I would put on doing something around March Madness. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. I, I think where I could see this going is putting programs in place for people. And I don't necessarily want to say earn the, you know, the opportunity, uh, but things that go in place because of the partnership with the with the sport or the tournament that awards people that that go on to, um, uh, you know, or at least they have an opportunity to do it on for all tournament teams or various other um, regional, you know, final tournament teams, things like that, um, where they could they could benefit from it. Yeah. You know, they, notable yeah. exception to that, um, you know, we'll end the conversation the way we started it, talking about the St. Yeah. Peter's Peacocks, you know, uh, Doug Eddard. Um, 
you know, the, the sixth man on that St. Peter squad, you know, signed a deal with uh, Barstool Sports and Buffalo Wild Wings during the tournament. Yeah. So yeah, you know, clearly yeah. it can it can be done. I don't know how much I, he was able to devote to it. I was thinking of coming onto this show with my hair and a grown out mustache and to see if I can lock down an NIL deal myself, but uh, <laughs> all right. Um, all right. So this is the point in the show where we, uh, we talk about what we're looking forward to and we say goodbye. Right. So before I say goodbye on behalf of David and myself, David, what are you looking forward to? What's, what's on your mind? So I am going to be, well, I am a grandfather, by the way. Um, yes, congratulations, James. James, yes, James Christopher Eust. We call him Jamie, and he is a beautiful, healthy boy, and uh, we're we're just also thankful. So, um, yeah. Um, so there's that, <laughs> and so constantly looking at photos. <laughs> talk about him, talk about you know yeah. talk about you know dropping off significantly after that right. news. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was the it was the anticipation of last week. Cuz last week I was a nervous wreck through the whole thing, but it uh, the day arrived and all wonderful. Um so you know listen, I I can't wait for the uh um for the final fours uh, uh this weekend and uh I'm going to make a my few predictions here. I'm saying uh on the women's side that that overall number one, South Carolina, is going to knock off Stanford um, on Sunday, uh, meaning that Stanford will beat UConn, uh, which will be a lift, but that's that's my call there. And I'm saying, I'm, it's a hometown guest. So for those of you just listening, I'm wearing a, a, a light blue golf shirt, and it is not at all because I'm a Carolina fan. So I'm actually picking Villanova, which is kind of a hometown team of mine, to knock off Duke. Because I think Duke's going to totally rally around K and beat Carolina in that uh, in that semi, um, so it's going to be Villanova because they're going to they're going to be fired up about uh, playing for Justin Moore, who was I feel so sorry for him. He popped his tore his Achilles tendon and uh, and obviously won't be able to play. So that's that's my pick. Those are my picks. And then on the rating side, I I am predicting that easy one. The the streaming numbers will be the highest ever. Um, the, the, they're going to be on Turner properties. And I, from what I understand, they're going to be carrying it on TNT Turner and on, on true. So not doing one of those, you know, side like home team things that they did, but they'll, because the, the, the chances of these numbers being big are big. I think they're going to get, they're going to crush last year's number. I'm saying they're going to be around 21 million viewers, which puts them up where a CBS, a good CBS number would normally be. Wow. And just for those of you who don't have, last year's numbers available there were 16.92 million viewers so that's a that's a hefty increase david you're you're go big or go home i'm bullish on this sports industry <laughs> <laughs> i'm always wary about an industry that would let me somebody like me make yeah. a living in it um i'm going to go a little bit more uh conservative on the numbers i'm going to i'm going to say they're going to hit they're going to top out at about 20 million um, as far as the games go, I think South Carolina is uh, is going to win, is going to take the tournament uh, on the women's side. On the men's side, I'm going to get a little bit more specific. I think Vanilla Nova <laughs> gets past Kansas. And I, 
and and this is this is where I always get in trouble, right? I I predict with my heart and not my head, but I think I think Carolina gets past Duke again in the other semi, and I think Carolina uh, beats beats Villanova by two. I mean, they knocked off St. Peter's, so obviously they're playing at a at, at the you know the top of the top in terms of their play right now. I mean, they and they really are looking good. I mean, they are looking good. So? Any any team that's got a guy named Leaky Black is okay in my book. That's just yeah. a great, great basketball name. Uh, and you know, Baycott obviously is a great player. Uh, yeah, does it does it all? Yeah. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see. Um, but uh, you know, as we as we head out today, one thing that we're going to continue to keep our eye on. We've been talking about it a little bit. Um, Another knock or, or blow to the Washington Commanders. Their local radio station dropped them for the upcoming season. Um, you know, there's an old saying that uh, in statistics that, you know, three data points make a trend. But so you've got Budweiser dropping out. You've got the radio station dropping out. We'll see if anything else happens as it relates to the Commanders, um, you know, uh, partnership space. But it'll be yeah. interesting to see. Yeah, we said there was going to be more dominoes to drop, and this is a big one. And this does not happen very often. Um, yeah, we don't know what the terms of the deal for renewal was, but this this doesn't happen um, very often. And so yeah. it's it was significant. And, and by the statements made when it was done, you knew there was something there. Were they were going through that same process? Yeah. So with that, let me uh, let me thank our guest once more, Nord Gambuza from the PGA Tour. Most of all, you guys for listening. Thank you. Um, please check us out wherever you find your podcast. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple. Please like us and follow us on LinkedIn. And we will see you all next week. <laughs> <laughs>